Well, welcome back to Out of Curiosity. This is our podcast where we are looking for biblical clarity for modern questions. And the question that we are answering here today is anxiety a sin? Is it a sinful thing to feel anxiety? You know, we're told in the Bible to, to not experience anxiety, to flee from worry, to, to, to Jesus will say, so just don't be anxious. And so I think it creates in many Christians this feeling that anytime that feeling kind of wells up in me, it's somehow sinful or evil that I, something I need to be rid of. And so uh, help us navigate this because this is really pressing and a daily thing for so many people. Sure, yeah. And, and you know, the, the really kind of sick, twisted part of it is if you feel anxious and then you're told anxiety is a sin, you're going to feel anxious about your anxiety. Right, yeah. And so then that just spirals out of control. And so, you know, I think we'll start with maybe the, the central passage that people go to on this question of anxiety, Philippians chapter 4, verse right. 6. Right, right. Uh, Garland, you want to read Philippians 4, 6 for us? Yeah, this is Philippians 4, 6 in the NIV. And Let me go is, to 7 also. Yeah, okay, this is Paul speaking to the church in Philippi, and he says, so do not be anxious. There you go. Don't be anxious about anything. Uh, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And... The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One of those famous verses that we all see, we yep. see all the time. Yep, and and I mean, so there's a couple things going on in this verse that are really important for people who are struggling with anxiety. Um, first is that really obvious command, don't do it. So if we're asking the question, is anxiety a sin? It seems like we've got our black and white answer right there, right? You're commanded, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Therefore, if you're anxious... Paul You're said sinning. It. He yeah, said, don't do it. Sinner. And you read verse seven and you go, that peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And you just want to go, I mean, gosh, I desperately desire that peace. Right. What am I doing wrong that I'm not getting it? And so to begin to unpack this, I think the first thing we need to really ask is what does that command mean when it says, do not be anxious? Mm -hmm. um, and so what's, what's interesting about that verb, and, and I think this probably will give us some insight on emotions in general in, in the Bible, that verb is an active verb. It, it is something we are doing. So it's saying, don't be anxious. When that verb gets translated other places in the New Testament, it is almost always translated as worry. Do not worry. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, about your body, what you'll wear. Is life not more important than food and the body more than clothes? It is this idea that you are not to do a certain mental activity called worrying. And I think it's important for us to distinguish early on in this conversation the difference between an emotion and a mental activity. Okay. So there's the emotion of anxiety, and then there's the activity of worrying. Okay. So let's try to break that down and think a little bit about what, what is emotion, what are feelings, and how do those work in the Bible? So I think generally we can say feelings are not sinful. Uh, all an emotion is, is it is a physiological response of your body to what's going on around you. It's similar to feeling cold or hot or tired. Those emotions are wired in us usually to have some kind of an appropriate response for us to respond to circumstances around us that might need us to, to have fear or anxiety or something like that. Absolutely. I, I often compare emotions to like the gauges on the dashboard of your car. They're giving you information about what's happening inside of you. Okay. okay. So let's go with cold because cold is so physical. It's a little bit more concrete and tangible for us to think about. If I am standing outside sopping wet in 10 degree weather, and I feel miserably cold. That feeling of being of cold is actually a gift. 
It is my body telling me you're in a bad situation right now. It's going to cause you harm. Get out of it. It makes you uncomfortable in order to propel you to action. Right. So your body feeling cold, the answer is not, man, I wish I could make this cold feeling go away so I can stay in the 10 degree weather. If only the peace of God that transcends understanding would come here, <laughs> right. be warm. Yeah. And so the feeling is there to point us to something. It's our body responding to what's going on around us. So feelings are very, emotional feelings are very similar. It is our body responding to what's going on around us. And so feelings aren't sinful or good or righteous. They just are. It's just your body responding. So when you feel anger, joy, sadness, worry, or fear, that is just a physiological response. And so I think the first thing we got to do is I think we got to let go of the idea that an emotion is good or bad. So maybe a good, just putting this to my life, like whenever we play in our front yard, there's a street in our front yard that has cars that come up a hill that's hard to see. Right. And I have a natural feeling, whether I can help it or not, that is a, and it's a good feeling of yep. my kids are out there and one, my youngest is two years old. And if I don't have that emotion, if I don't have that kind of inner angst, which we call worry or anxiety, if that right. emotion isn't triggered I would maybe be the least loving father yes. in the world. Yeah, and so you're, you're, you're pointing to a couple of things that are really important when we think about emotions. Uh, one is that emotion points to values. Right. And so your fear in that situation reveals that you value your kids. Mm-hmm. Like you see a potential threat to your children, and so you, you value your children. Um, when you feel sadness after a loss, that highlights the value of the thing lost. To squash those emotions would actually be to devalue the thing they're pointing to. To not be afraid when your children are under threat would actually point to something that devalued of your kids. Right. Um, to not feel sadness when you lose something important would be to, to devalue that thing. And so they, they speak to value. So this is one area where emotions can actually, when, when we see sin in our experience of emotion, it, one of the things that it often actually points to is a bad value. Right. So if I feel angry when someone else gets public recognition and I don't, that might actually point to a value of my own glory, my own respect in the eyes of others. Mm-hmm. The anger is not the problem. The fact that I feel anger simply is. That anger is alerting me to a value. Mm-hmm. So that anger can actually be a gift. Mm-hmm. It actually can help point me to, man, why do I feel so angry right now? I feel angry because of pride. Right. And so that anger is still serving a helpful function in highlighting a value. So it's one thing emotions do is they highlight values. And then we have the question of is is this value the right value? Mm-hmm. And so the answer is not squash the anger, it's reassess the value. And this might give insight into why Paul will say elsewhere, be angry but do not sin. Exactly. He can distinguish the two things. And so we'll see Paul walk into a city filled with idols mm-hmm. or, or maybe in our culture right now, I'm a little more de- close to home is he'll walk into a city filled with injustice and yeah. he, will re- he will feel that anger and he doesn't squash it out because that's a value of justice that is crying out. It's a good thing that, we, yeah. that we're going to need to press into, not run away from. It, almost out. every emotion we are both commanded to do and not do in the Bible. Okay. Fear, don't fear. Rejoice, don't rejoice. Weep, don't weep. And it's why it could be so hard for us sometimes to navigate all this because we got little verses 
on each side that we've heard before. Yes. And, it just, and they can flood in and out at different times, and it makes us really overwhelmingly confused. And so what I think that's telling us is the experience of the emotion is not the issue. It's how we respond to it. Right. And so um, we can respond to our feelings, these physiological changes, in helpful or unhelpful ways. So if I'm in line and somebody cuts in front of me, totally reasonable to feel anger. That's just my physiological response to somebody wronging me. Pulling out a gun and shooting them. Well, that would be quite the response. <laughs> that would be an inappropriate response to the right. feeling of anger. But what anger does do is it energizes me to say, I have a conflict. And, and anger energizes us to address the conflict in front of us. So let's go back to the question of anxiety. What is happening when we feel anxiety? Anxiety, it's a physiological experience of fear about a hypothetical future situation. So it is I don't know what's going to happen here, and I feel fear. I feel some worry. So it is possible. A hypothetical would be my kid goes out into the street, a car comes over the hill, mm -hmm. and that doesn't, doesn't see my kid, and I need to be alerted to that. Yes. Okay. So fear, fear is a helpful thing when the danger is real, mm -hmm. and there's something I can do about it. Mm -hmm. My kid's playing in the road. There's a car coming. My fear should drive me to teach my kid not to run out in the road. That's a helpful response to fear. However, when there is not actually a danger, but rather I'm imagining what ifs and possible dangers. So it is one thing if my kid is playing in the front yard and they are, there's a car coming. It's another thing if I'm going, what if someday my kid were to be playing in a park and they weren't to think of, they, they didn't recognize there's a road over there. And I'm sitting here imagining hypothetical situations that are not happening right now. And I'm experiencing the fear of a threat that's not currently mm -hmm. real. Okay? So that's what anxiety looks like for a lot of people is the imagining of a hypothetical situation. And so what often happens then is we start to do this thing called worrying. Now, um, this starts to play a little bit into my story because I'm an expert worrier. Um, it's like a, it, it, it's part of how I'm wired. Like I'm wired anxious. So when I was a little kid, I mean, we're talking like seven, when my parents would go out for the evening and I had a babysitter, if they weren't home when they said they'd be home, I started thinking they were killed in a car crash. Right. And so I would sit in front of the clock watching each minute pass by. When my dad would travel... I would watch the news for plane crashes because I was always worried. I was always fearful and anxious about these things happening to the people I loved. The irony is your parents just needed a few more minutes away right. from their no. kids. And they <laughs> were just, we're going to get an extra 15 minutes here. But I'm freaking out and worrying. So I've always had that, that disposition and that, that personality. But some things happen with anxiety that can be really toxic. We've said that feelings simply are. They're not good or bad. It's what we do with them. That is, that is healthy or unhealthy, exhibiting faith or not. The, the irony about emotion is when we try to control the feeling, that becomes incredibly counterproductive and oftentimes makes it worse. We all know what puts a fire out. Water, right? You throw water on a fire with one really great exception. What is it? A grease fire in the kitchen. Just it gets worse. I have when that you, all the time when you, in my grill. <laughs> when you throw water on a grease fire, it doesn't put it out it actually causes it to flare up. And there's something similar going on with emotions. When I feel an emotion that I'm not comfortable with and I try to stop that emotion, oftentimes what I do is I give that, I give that emotion a toxic power in my life. And so for me, that has been extremely true in the area of anxiety. When I feel that experience of anxiety, that uncomfortable concern about a hypothetical situation, Trying to make that anxiety go away oftentimes fuels it, right? And, and here's, 
the beauty of how God has made our minds to work, but also when when sin gets a hold of it, when brokenness gets a hold of it, it turns it really toxic. Our minds are made so that when we do a certain behavior, our minds actually kind of rewire toward that behavior so it gets easier to do it again the next time. Mm-hmm. And, and so I was reading one author recently, and he said, we, we want to think of our minds as like these neutral machines. Like I get behind the wheel of a car and I point it where to go. But that's not actually what's happening. What's actually happening is every time I drive a certain path in my brain, I create a little rut so that that path is a little easier to follow the next time. Now, you follow that same path enough, those ruts get deep enough that you just get stuck in them and you're on autopilot. You're going forward. So I'll tell you what happened in my life practically. When I would feel anxiety come on, I would have a myriad of hypothetical scenarios that I didn't know how they were going to turn out And I thought, I have to make this feeling go away. So I have to figure out how I'm going to handle all of these hypothetical scenarios. And so I would start imagining all of the worst case scenarios on how a conversation could go. And I would start game planning how to do damage control if all of these worst case scenarios came true. And I was actually training my brain to worry. To worry. I was saying, hey, when you feel anxiety, Nick, this is what you do start anticipating worst-case scenarios and try to problem-solve. And so the rut that you kind of trained your brain, you trained your brain to worry. Yes. It's interesting. I think other people can train their brains to escape. Yep. You can train your brain to escape by pornography or alcohol or or drugs or something like that. You can train your brain to escape by eating. Mm -hmm. And so the emotion of anxiety can trigger now actions, in your case, worry. Yep. And you're saying the worry, that is the thing that Paul That is the thing that Jesus is after, not the emotion, but the response to worry. Exactly. So what he's he's doing in Philippians chapter 4 is he's telling us how to respond to a concern. Don't worry. Don't sit there and try to figure out how you can take control of it. But in your situation, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Mm -hmm. This is not denial and avoidance. Uh, this is not also like trying to control and problem solve. This is, hey, acknowledge us there and take it to God. And one of the most powerful verses for me in anxiety, so what, what started happening is this started spiraling out of control in my life to the point that I would actually lose hours and hours of my day to worry. Like, I mean, I'm not exaggerating, whole swaths of hours that I couldn't get work done, that I couldn't be present with my family because my mind would be churning and, and I would go so deep inside myself, it was crippling. Um, to the point that, I mean, I got diagnosed with clinical generalized anxiety and had to get help to escape that cycle of anxiety in my life. And one of the most powerful things um, for me that was really painful, and yet, and this is going to sound so depressing to people who are in this place, I had to accept the anxiety wasn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and 2 Corinthians chapter 12 became really, really powerful for me when Paul talks about the thorn in his flesh. And he said, he prayed, God, I want you to take it away. And, and God said, no. My grace is sufficient. Mm-hmm. One of the most powerful things I had to learn about my anxiety was that feeling might not go anywhere for a while. I'm going to have to learn to sit with that emotion. And so for me, it came through a combination of, of medicine, counseling, and prayer, and help from the community and from my wife and my family to identify from worrying so much there is a rut that I now found myself powerless to get out of. Mm-hmm. And so for me to do Philippians 4 
to not be anxious, to not worry, required help from others, required some, some serious help. And so this is when we think about emotions and what to do with anxiety, kind of to wrap this up, this is a, a, the, the perspective I think we need to take on it. Worry, we want to put ourselves in the category of either I'm responsible for it or I'm a victim of it. And oftentimes the truth is some blend of both, right? I became both a victim of the biology of my brain that was this rut of worry was something I felt enslaved to. And oftentimes Paul's going to describe the flesh that way. It's a, it's a slave master. Mm-hmm. And I found my flesh was a slave master over me. But it's not the truth that I was helpless and powerless. Christ actually provided the resources in some really practical ways, like counseling, and in, and in some very uh, spiritually powerful mechanisms of the church and the gospel to work into my life to set me free from that anxiety. So in, in answer to the question, is anxiety a sin? I think we have to frame that rightly. The feeling of anxiety is not a sin. When you feel anxiety hit you, that's not sinful. That is a physiological experience. It's how we respond to that anxiety. And oftentimes we'll find ourselves powerless, feeling powerless to respond appropriately. But just like so many other um, things that enslave us, there is a way that God wants to set you free by faith from that, from that thing. So the advice I would give to people who are listening, if you find yourself in that place, first, learn to invite God into it. Learn to invite your community into it. And then seek help. Have the... Um, just like Paul, to recognize that that weakness um, is an area that God's grace can shine through, uh, that, that he wants to set you free from that anxiety. And you know what? I'm still a kind of anxious person. I'm still inclined toward worry. Um, you're laughing because you're not surprised by that. <laughs> no, but I'm not enslaved you. to it anymore. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't zap my life like it used to. And so I think there's a lot of healing and freedom that can come in that. It's interesting, uh, as we wrap it up, that every time one of, like, when Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 or Paul in Philippians 4 discuss this topic, in t- you talking about ruts and how the brain works, both of them direct the mind to take the feeling and then look. So look at what Jesus says in Matthew 6. He says, see the birds. He says, deeply consider. It's, it's our same word for uh, mm-hmm. like become a disciple of mm-hmm. the lilies of the field. And then con- consider what you're treasuring. Are yeah. you seeking the kingdom? And so he directs our mind to develop the, the right ruts, we might say. Yeah. And so C.S. Lewis, I know, has this statement that has always stuck with me. Every time you make a choice, you're turning the central part of you, the part that chooses into something a little different than it was before. That's good. And I think that's so interesting to what you're saying and then looking at what Paul and Jesus say about how this works. So uh, we hope this is helpful for you as you're listening out there. And as always, thank you for listening to Out of Curiosity, where we're seeking biblical clarity for modern questions. Thank you for listening to this episode of Out of Curiosity. If you found it helpful, please consider leaving us a review and sharing it with a friend. To suggest a topic, reach out to us on Instagram at OOCuriosity. We'll see you next time.